Hello and welcome to Cryptic Chronicles. Today on the show, we're going to get into the legendary as well as notorious Slenderman. But first, I'm going to do an overview of the entities known as Tulpas and Thought Forms, who both happen to be entities that are created from the human mind. Now, first and foremost, I want to be clear that I'm 100% aware that Slenderman is a piece of fiction. It was created on the Something Awful forums by user Eric Knudsen all the way back in 2009, with the entity being described as unnaturally thin and seven feet tall. It's always depicted as wearing a black suit, has a featureless white face, and has many extremely long tentacle-like arms. The calling card of this internet monster is to abduct children with them vanishing into nothing, but adults or anyone really is still on the kill list for the Slenderman. According to the mythos, this entity is beyond ancient, or even not of this dimension, but has basically been stalking humanity from the dark woods since time immemorial. Though the truth is always stranger than fiction, and there are actually real-life mythologies from cultures around the world that at least seem similar to Slenderman, with the uh, thousands to millions of people interested in the Slenderman phenomenon, this one-time creepypasta slash meme has gone overly viral to say the least. And according to some paranormal researchers, this internet myth has started to nudge its way into the real world. I've, um, I've covered the astral plane on this show before, and according to that lore, anything that humanity really focuses on takes on a life of its own there basically becoming real and this is uh this is what people think might have happened to the slender man phenomenon in a way a real world version of the slender man was created by all the people who became obsessed with it and there's actually a category for this type of entity in the west called a thought form which on a surface level at least uh, seems very similar to a buddhist entity called a tulpa there's actually even a modern occult practice called tulpamancy, which uh, these entities are purposely created and they control them. But originally, tulpas come from Tibetan Buddhism, in which the highly disciplined minds of monks would uh, create them basically through intense meditation, rituals, and hardcore visualization. See, in order to keep these things uh, building and uh, alive and giving it power, the practitioner has to constantly visualize them around them and like basically living their own lives, doing their own thing. So the theory goes is that apparently people all over the world became so obsessed with Slender Man that it might have just given birth to a thought form embodying it, which, uh, which basically is exactly like how the creepypasta lore represents it. And that's pretty creepy. When I first heard about it, I found it instantly fascinating, which actually goes along with one of the strangest things about the Slenderman phenomenon. You see, people, um, basically, they become obsessed over it. Many people have become pretty much consumed in researching the Slenderman phenomenon and reading everything there is to know on the subject to the point that it becomes pretty unhealthy. One of the tidbits of the lore concerning Slenderman becoming a real-life thought form has to do with this obsession it causes. People straight up claim that this obsession is paranormal in origin, 
because a lot of times it seems beyond what could be described as any normal interest. So much to the point that two girls even tried to kill one of their school friends in order to sacrifice her to Slenderman in a real-world attempted murder case. And it's, it's actually pretty scary that this obsession with the creepypasta entity has actually become pretty widespread. I mean, two little girls trying to kill their friend over Slenderman is pretty horrifying. I mean, just thinking about what could have caused them to think that that was a good idea ever in any way is just baffling. But it shows you how sometimes this Slenderman phenomenon can just sap people's reason. And a lot of these real-world Slenderman encounters are pretty freaky too because he uh, usually haunts people while they're researching the subject. Showing up on their computer or, you know, after they turn off their computer, he has like a silhouette on the desktop monitor. He really likes to blow out light bulbs and just do stuff to terrify people. One of his favorite calling cards is messing with electronics. There really is a lot of these uh, supposed real-life encounters with this dark entity. With Slenderman even invading the dreams of people in the real world, giving them horrifying nightmares and even standing over them as they lay in bed while frozen from sleep paralysis, just like a shadow person. Victims of Slenderman commonly suffer from vivid nightmares though and paranoid delusions that lead to horrific mental illness. So there really is all kinds of creepy and weird stuff we're going to get into in this episode. Let's check out the theories behind how this fictional character came to life. I'm your host, Tim Hacker, and you're listening to Cryptic Chronicles. So let's first start with the tulpa. If Slenderman is a tulpa, then that could be a pretty frightening reality. Now, first and foremost, uh, like basically all things, it's important to come at tulpa stuff with skepticism. And that and that pretty much includes all the stuff in this episode, uh, thought forms, and even the possibility of Slenderman being a real entity. Everything about life is subjective. And a lot of great truths that people hold so dear are just opinions in the grand scheme of things. So let's just keep open minds and enjoy this stuff for what it is. And uh, I know I said it in the intro, but the word tulpa originates from Tibetan Buddhism. Buddhist practitioners, um, Buddhist practitioners have far more powerful minds than common people or I guess dedicated meditators in general too. And it is within the mind that a tulpa is given birth. Most of the time it requires a lot of dedicated focus, but there are occasions where a tulpa has been created unconsciously. And this can be a pretty bad thing because tulpas can be very, very dangerous to their creators. They have their own identity, personality, wants, desires, fears, hates, and they grow and change just like an average person would throughout their lives. In the mystic traditions, they're not looked at as unreal or imaginary, but actual living beings who inhabit just a different level of reality other than humans in their everyday mundane life. In Western cultures, Alexandra David Neal is probably the most famous for bringing the idea of Tulpa into our consciousness, with her legendary 1932 book, Magic and Mystery in Tibet. 
She lived a hundred years ago and was from France, so I'm probably not pronouncing her name correctly, but yeah. Alexandra was a mystic, anarchist, occultist, Buddhist, and most of all, traveler. And after seeing some pictures of her, I gotta say she was a lovely young lady. Her lifelong path of not following the herd was pretty apparent because ever since she was a child, she had a pretty rough, rebellious streak. Just like me, so I like her off the bat. She studied Tibetan religion and mysticism for years and even got around to writing a book about her bizarre experiences. She was a very widespread traveler, and all of the knowledge she obtained on the occult nature of the tulpa she brought home with her. And ever since, many people have had opposing opinions on what exactly is a tulpa. But the basic overview is that it's an illusion created from spiritual energy. This spiritual energy is focused into a form and seemingly granted sentience. A tulpa can take shape in pretty much any way you can think of. They can be any sex, any age, any race, or even anything beyond human. When fully birthed on the mental plane, these entities can even be mistaken for the real deal to uh, the spiritually awakened. Incredibly powerful tulpas can also become solid in seemingly short periods of time. Some tulpas are given form to take on the image of the person who created them, and in many cases, the tulpa outlives its creator. According to Tibetan tradition, lamas could create tulpas for bodies of other deities to inhabit, even being focused to become a vessel for a divine being, which really sounds like astral plane stuff. According to a lot of the traditions that I went over when I covered the astral plane in episode 16, um, human beings continuously create living entities there through their thoughts and emotions. Anything that large masses of humanity focus on gains life somewhere in the astral plane. Entities there can be strengthened by our thoughts. With more focus and energy they get, the stronger they become. Which must be frightening, I bet. There are some pretty terrifying things in the astral plane, according to many traditions. Tulpas, um... Tulpas very much sound like astral entities. So who knows, maybe tulpas are being gestated in the astral plane until they are focused in the creation. Then again, maybe it could just be a straight-up astral entity who somehow has an easier way of exerting itself into humanity's physical plane and exerting its influence. According to many traditions, uh, in order to see astral things around you in the physical plane, you have to be a clairvoyant, psychic, meditator, mystic, occultist, yogi, or shaman, blah, blah, blah. You know, one of those things. Professional, spiritual-like people. So in the long shot, there could be some connection between the astral plane and Atulpa. I would say that Atulpa is a much more powerful astral entity. I mean, if it can be seen by people without a healthy pineal gland or third eye activated, it must be pretty OP. Even though I could be very wrong, it's pretty cool to think about. Anyway, I'm getting pretty off topic. Back to Alexandra David Neal. Alexandra saw a lot of Tulpa activity in her travels. She asked her teachers about the entities and eventually decided to give it a go herself. So she isolated herself and then started the regular rituals to focus the spiritual energy required to create a tulpa. She uh, made an interesting choice for the form that the tulpa would take. She chose the visage of a short pot-bellied monk with a harmless, jovial demeanor. She spent her time in ritual focusing on a living image of the monk 
who moved around acting exactly as any living person would. This meant chores, eating, talking, asking questions, reading, etc. In her mind at all times was this living, breathing, jolly monk. She was so dedicated she treated the mental image with all the courtesy she would have guessed in her own house. She kept on focusing day after day after day so hard that it got to the point that, by all counts, the tulpa was all but alive. When it was finished, she gathered up her servants and continued her tour in Tibet's wilds. And there, walking beside her, was the monk. He basically just took his place as one of the travelers. And Alexandra would often see him doing things that any traveler would do. It was at this point that she concluded the illusion no longer required her focus to exist. It did what it wanted with or without her guidance or consent. Supposedly, she could even feel the monk's robes if he brushed past her. And one time, he put his hand on her shoulder and it truly felt like a hand was there to her. What do you think? Do you think that this is some trick of the mind? The mind is insanely powerful and can trick us into some pretty crazy stuff. I'll be the first to admit that. I mean, they give out sugar pills without telling people it's sugar pills. And people get better anyway because for some reason, it works. Just like legitimate medicine. If the person actually believes the medicine is real, then it helps. It's called the placebo effect. But at least Alexandra, it was very clear that she was very, very successful at creating her own tulpa. And for a while, things seemed to be alright. The jolly fat monk was a welcome companion. Supernatural origin he may be. And it was very clear to her that the entity was taking on a will of its own more and more, acting out on its own desires and having its own opinions and basically being its own person. The tulpa had become a sentient entity completely out of Alexandra's control. And not too long after it became completely independent, then the entity's appearance began to change. More and more, it started to look dark, leaner, and it had this mischievous smile on its face all the time. Kind of frightened her. Though the creature was becoming worrisome, she did not yet have the heart to confront the tulpa she created. And that is, until one day a man entered her tent with some goods for her and actually saw and acknowledged the tulpa sitting beside her. The man started talking to it like it was some holy man, some uh, just like privileged guest in her tent. And this really... And this really freaked her out, and she was realizing that the tulpa was becoming too powerful. This is when she thought enough was enough, and it was time the mischievous tulpa come to an end. She would preemptively stop any further trouble it might cause down the line. Yeah, basically deciding to kill the thing. The rituals and effort took around six months to dissolve it back to raw energy. During this time, it attempted to defend itself and even pled with her not to kill it. Just like any person, it wanted to live more than anything and feared death just as much as any common person like you or me. Its resistance was irrelevant though because the tulpa eventually was once more non-existent. In modern tulpamancy, there's a lot of circles that believe tulpas only exist in the mind, but they are not limited to a single person's mind. A lot of tulpamancers believe that they do really live, but they live in the ether, in a dimension just opposite to our own. 
The entity can influence the thinking of people and even visually appear in their minds like a sentient hallucination. The shadow people phenomenon has also been linked to tulpas and some alien encounters too. There's a very, very broad scope of paranormal lore that can be placed in the tulpa category. Basically, everyone isn't nearly as in control of their thoughts as they think. Everyone has intrusive thoughts or those times where you wonder, why the hell did I just think that? It's just a part of the human condition. A host of these intrusive thoughts can come both from the subconscious, but also exterior sources. Be that subliminal messaging, symbolism, or whatever, I'm sure you get the point. Well, according to modern Topol lore, these entities can communicate with the human mind in a similar fashion. And at first, they don't really seem like intrusive thoughts, but those thoughts do not belong to the person. That is until the tulpa gets a stronger grip along with the practitioner creating it, getting better and better at bringing the tulpa to life. Eventually, those thoughts are going to be very obviously not from that person. Thought forms are said to be able to do this too and push thoughts into people's minds as well, but we'll get to thought forms shortly, don't worry. If you create a tulpa, you create an entity that basically knows you better than anyone else and actually will know you even better than you know yourself, which can be used for good, such as a tulpa giving you advice that it knows is best for you, or even telling you things about yourself that you don't know, or even may have suppressed. A tulpa can be like a therapist of sort, because you make it how you wanna make it, it can do all kinds of stuff for you. It can even push you to do things that you would normally be frightened of or insecure about. Like if you get insecure or anxious in social situations, tulpas can help out with that and talk things out with you to make sense of stuff. A tulpa can basically have access to all of your memories and your emotions, and they can help you realize stuff that you didn't know about yourself. Like for example, can you name your five greatest strengths? Can you name all the stuff that you're talented in? Well, in tulpamancy lore, you can make a tulpa to do just that and explore the unconscious. So they can be kind of like an imaginary friend, but with its own consciousness and will separate from the individual that created it. Though it's no easy feat, and I would say it could be pretty dangerous, especially since there are so many different types and how you make them is very important. It's super possible just to accidentally create monsters, and things with tulpas can go very wrong very quick. Another type of tulpa I wanted to just briefly talk about are egregores. Well, I guess an egregore could be defined as a thought form too, or even a servidor, but egregores seem most like a tulpa to me. I've talked about egregores briefly before in episode 16. They, they influence people who have become a part of the group they're attached to, and have many functions in how they work, and they also influence those who have been initiated into their organization, or channel of energy, if you will. This is linked to Slenderman because according to the Slenderman lore, if you seek him out or talk about it or even acknowledge him, then the Slenderman becomes aware of your existence and may very well influence you. Which actually sounds pretty similar to how an egregore works. Giving it thought gives it power and makes you light up to its awareness like a candle in the darkness. In Tulpamancy, these things can be created for certain purposes, but all need to be fed for lack of a better term. 
So if they're created for a task, they should be rewarded consistently unless the entity is destroyed after its purpose is achieved. But if enough people think about an entity long enough and give it enough energy, especially thousands and thousands to not millions of people all focused and afraid of the same thing, it's possible that a tulpa could be born rogue. If Slenderman was birthed as a tulpa by fear and obsession, then it will attempt to continue the energy going into it that created it. Okay, now let's get into thought forms. There's a ridiculous amount of opinions and traditions on thought forms too, but I'll give it an overview as best I can. And these entities known as thought forms are nothing new to occult or mystic traditions. And indeed, tulpas and thought forms do seem pretty similar and really similar in a lot of ways. I mean, just no getting around that. In some traditions, such as theosophy, thought forms are constantly created by people and also just constantly dying, with some thought forms basically only living for mere moments. You see, this is because thought forms require energy to sustain themselves, and if there isn't enough focus on it in the human mind, it fades to nothing. However, if given enough thought and focus, they can grow and allegedly even gain power or even their own consciousness, much like a tulpa. But in order for this to happen, they need a lot of emotion pumped into them with invested desires and conscious thought. And oddly enough, there's even some scientific reasoning behind the possibility of thought forms really existing. And my referencing is going to go back to the father of the modern scientific and technological world, Nikola Tesla. Tesla would say that all matter is just differing levels of vibrating energy with 99% empty space. And this is, this is a straight up fact. And this is an easy way to explain why some people would think thought forms exist because, well, thoughts are energy, just like anything and everything else in existence. Though there is a split in some circles who believe in this stuff about the nature of thought forms consciousness. There's a, there's a lot of different ways that the people who believe in this stuff kind of approach it. Some say that their consciousness is their own, while others say it's a sliver of the creator's consciousness. So I guess just make up your own mind on what you think it might be. And interesting enough, even according to quantum physics, the existence of entities like thought forms is totally probable. But in order for me to really make sense of that, I would have to go into frequencies and vibrations and all kinds of mind-boggling stuff that, though fascinating, is kind of off-topic. But basically, to sum it up, everything is energy, thoughts, emotions, etc. You name it. There literally isn't anything that isn't a form of energy. And this can make more sense when we come to terms with the, the fact that human sense organs are actually pretty incredibly limited. We can't really see, hear, feel, or taste a lot of what's going on around us. Um, a good example would be that we can't see Wi-Fi or Bluetooth waves, just like we can't see gamma or radio waves or basically most spectrums of anything. And our minds are pretty limited to third dimensional processing. 
So not only are our sense organs incredibly limited, but our ability to interact with the universe as a whole is also incredibly limited. Matter has a lot of alternating frequencies and is essentially just like a radio frequency, only being able to hear the station the radio is set to. We can only see and interact with the frequency our sense organs are tapped into. Humans obviously being third dimensional and solely existing there pretty much. God, I just really love quantum physics. It's so baffling. Most thought forms are accidental in creation with the creator not even really being aware of its existence. Well, your, your, uh, your average person, that is. Because supposedly people who can feel energy and are, you know, psychically aware are pretty good at spotting these things, or at least feeling them. Which can be kind of scary sometimes because uh, some thought forms can be brought into existence through negative thought and become something like an energetic parasite to its host. It will attempt to influence the person into keeping on thinking about whatever it is that sustains the thought form's existence. But just like a tulpa, thought forms can also be created on purpose through visualization. Uh, which basically means that daydreaming or imagining something a lot with a lot of emotion behind it can actually create a thought form. And when I was researching about just where these things may actually exist, uh, I came across some pretty out there stuff. Definitely a rabbit hole. I was originally just thinking they probably existed in the astral plane or something like that. And I wasn't disappointed. Apparently thought forms exist in many different planes of existence, like the mental plane or the astral plane, but all of them are layered over our own reality. So they are there, just not there there. Like in the way we would think of stuff. In a material way. Which is kind of hard to explain, but I'm sure you get the point. A lot of times with this uh, kind of weird esoteric stuff, a lot of it will always go back to the astral plane. But these thought forms don't always have to have their own consciousness and do their own thing. They can also be used by the creator for specific purposes. You can even focus on creating a double of yourself with a fraction of your own consciousness somewhere in a sliver of space-time. And yes, that's an actual quote. Apparently, you can use this uh, thought form that you purposely create and inject yourself into to do something called remote viewing, which... uh basically put your consciousness into it and sees through its eyes. Some people even think that ghosts are created in this way, with a deceased person leaving behind a thought form of themselves with a sliver of their own consciousness stuck in space-time to obsess to let go. And like I said, if these thought forms become strong enough, they're able to take on a life of their own and basically leave their creator in the dust. With a... The person who brought them into being could even die. But the thought form would just go on as usual, getting the thought energy they need for survival by influencing other people. This can be kind of a scary thing to think about when it comes to stuff like depression. Not saying thought forms are real, not saying they aren't, but humoring the possibility of their existence, a negative thought form could totally influence someone into a constant state of depression if that's the energy that sustains their existence. They can also be born from the thoughts around events of intense trauma, which will probably be nasty if it survives long enough to sustain itself or gain its own sentience. But that's not even the worst of it. 
If large numbers of people are all focusing on the same thing with intense thought, what do you think the possibilities of that could be? Such as over the news with uh, people being conditioned to be afraid of something. Or even the gutter press spewing out its anti-intellectual vomit like it usually does. And going along with thought form lore, that could create a pretty nasty thought form that may gain its own consciousness and feed off the thoughts that gave it life and influence those thoughts to repeat over and over. I mean, think about that. If you got a good imagination, the possibilities can get pretty crazy and profound. According to thought form lore, we could have essentially created the gods. Well, not really. I don't really think that, I take it back. But at least, it could have created very powerful thought forms, to say the least. And with people constantly creating thought forms, even in mass groups, they could actually create thought forms from exterior influences that become roadblocks in their lives. Or even an illness, or bad luck, or whatever. It's pretty bizarre to think about. But even more bizarre to think about is the possibility that Slenderman could actually be a thought form given sentience and power by the internet. According to the traditions, thought form parasites are no joke and can weigh people down like an anchor. Slenderman could be no different. And this brings me to an interesting experiment that took place in the 1970s called the Philip Experiment that could have possibly been a thought form. It took place in Canada by parapsychologists that were keen on proving that the human mind could create spirits through expectation, imagination, and visualization. And it was all ran under the guidance of the world-renowned expert on poltergeist, Dr. A.R.G. Owen. They performed the experiment in an environment that was very similar to your classical seance. So everything was dark, candlelit, and creepy just like it should be. They went about attempting to manifest an entity named Philip Aylesford. And they had his whole, basically a, a whole fictional background set out for him. They told the entity that back when it was alive, it lived in a castle centuries and centuries ago. And also gave him a tragic story that led to his untimely demise. And bizarrely enough, the experiment seemed to be working because it only took a couple weeks before the thought form began responding back to them. Though it is important to keep in mind that there is always an entity willing to step into the shoes of what somebody wants to see. That's why a lot of classical seances aren't reliable and a lot of ancient or old ghost encounters aren't really reliable. Because uh, you gotta have like some training to be able to tell the difference between just some mimic entity and the real deal. So it could have very well not even been a thought form at all. But if Philip was indeed uh, created by this group of parapsychologists, then I guess their experiment worked because it did manifest and begin to respond to them. At first, it was only light knocks on the table, responding like uh, yes or no by one knock or two knocks that you see in a lot of horror movies. But it didn't take long for the entity to become more powerful, I guess. Eventually, it could move the table, move objects, and... You know, just uh, doing basic poltergeist stuff. However, the Philip entity never did manifest itself visually. The most fascinating thing about the whole experiment was that the Philip entity actually started like uh, answering questions and responding to its fictitious backstory, which was bizarre because it actually also started answering questions that, when researched, were historically accurate. 
but the group just chalked it up to the manifestation of their collective unconscious. Things, uh, things got much more bizarre from there, and Philip actually eventually outgrew its creators. But the Philip experiment is one of the most fascinating and well-documented cases of a thought form being purposely manifested. So, what do you think? Could Slenderman be a thought form similar to the creation of Philip Aylesford? Or could it even be a tulpa? Well, don't go away because I'll be right back after a quick break. You're listening to Cryptic Chronicles. Hi there, thanks for listening to Cryptic Chronicles. The show is sponsored by Blueberry, and if you're interested in starting your own podcast, use our link. We'll even give your podcast a shout out. Go to crypticchroniclespodcast.com and click on the Blueberry link on the homepage. By doing so, you'll be helping the show. Blueberry is optimized for iTunes as well as all podcast hubs. You won't have to worry about expensive contracts or fees. In fact, you won't have to leave your own website. You'll have your own RSS feed and no third-party sites. Try it for a month free by going through Cryptic Chronicles. Also, if you're a fan of cryptic content, please support the show on Patreon. By giving just $1 a month, you can really assist us in posting more content frequently. You'll also have access to bonus ad-free episodes of the show and the Discord channel. And the Discord channel. To keep up with all Cryptic Chronicles content, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and of course Facebook. Give the Facebook page a like and join the Cryptic Chronicles group. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for supporting the show. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, and let's get into the big bad himself. The Slenderman myth states that the whole thing started with the discovery of a photo that was found in the ashes of a fire that took the lives of many children who burned to death. The entity was basically just in the background of the photo, being a creeper with all the children in the forefront. The tale goes on about Slenderman having conducted a killing spree back in the 80s and being responsible for the disappearances of many, many children. However, despite all the fatalities of this original, you know, uh, story that gave birth to the mythos, whether Slenderman actually kills his victims is actually up for debate because there's never been any bodies found or anything like that. But some say he absorbs his victims into himself, while others say he takes them to another dimension for unknown purposes. Or I guess the entity could even take its victims to some as-yet-discovered location in the real world. Who knows? But what is known is he'll definitely cause you to go insane through terror before he takes you. And Slenderman has a lot of ways to deal with his victims. Slenderman is an ancient entity with immense supernatural powers. Probably the first and most well-known being that he messes with electronics. Which includes your cell phone, your computer, or lights, whatever. 
Basically, if it's electronical, Slenderman can mess with it. Though it's funny, if uh, Slenderman wants to, it doesn't really seem to mind being photographed. But usually when it comes down to video recording it, it just uh, causes static. Slenderman can also seemingly teleport from one place to another in the blink of an eye without any real sign of movement. And one theory as to how it does this is that it's a fourth dimensional being that actually isn't even fully in our plane of reality. Another is it has probability manipulation and can um, effectively just mess with reality to have uh, the most advantageous outcome to it and appear wherever it wants somehow. And a pretty creepy power that it has that reminds me of the Wendigo is that it can control the weather to a degree, like causing fog and, and you know, you can use your imagination altogether doing freaky stuff that causes horror in people with it. But probably the Slender Man's most useful power is telepathy, which uh, it essentially uses for mind control, with Slender Man influencing people to do horrible things for it. These people are either called proxies or operators, and uh, the proxies are almost always children, and suffer a horrible fate once their usefulness to Slender Man is up. Operators can be adults, and they kind of remind me of people from Stephen King's It, how the It entity, you know, Pennywise, influences the people of the town to do kind of messed up stuff sometimes. However, Slenderman will also use these uh, telepathic abilities on his victims. The mind control goes as far as being able to cause amnesia or whispering horrors into the minds of his victims that can lead to paranoia and insanity which also usually leads to a complete personality change in the person. And creepily, Slenderman has the ability to mimic any voice, be that a loved one or anyone that person knows, and will use this ability to lure victims where it wants them to be or just uh, mess with their head and their mental stability. Slenderman really is similar to the eldritch horrors from the Cthulhu mythos. The entity can also camouflage itself um, appearing only if it wants to be seen, and it's said to look different to every single person who views it. So it could literally be standing right behind you, or right in front of you, or anywhere around you, and you wouldn't even know unless it wants you to see it, which it will use to cause terror in its victim by appearing out of nowhere, pretty much. <laughs> At least to what the victim can see. Slenderman can also control fire with its mind, as well as uh, a lot of other elements, it seems. So, with all of these crazy supernatural powers, you can see how this thing is a paranormal juggernaut. An entity of immense power. But then, of course, last and not least in the slightest is its tentacle arms that can outstretch far. And though no victim's bodies have ever been found, like I said, it's theorized that it uses these tentacle arms to kill its victims. Though I think the biggest thing Slenderman does is his ability to infect the minds of masses of people like a parasite. He causes people to have an obsession over him. And like some people who first get into it can't stop researching it and it kind of consumes their lives. If you think about him or talk about him, it gets the Slender Man's attention. By acknowledging its existence, it knows us and invades our sphere of sensation. And this is uh, the Slender Man sickness is what it's called, which does have some physical ailments that come with it. 
And seriously, a lot of people who delve into the mythos have their minds altered in a bizarre way, causing obsession and mental illness. People just gotta keep researching everything about Slenderman to the point they can't stop. It also causes extreme paranoia and even hallucinations. Some people even start to feel a presence watching them while they go about their business in their homes, or just their daily lives in general, with paranormal activity following these people around basically wherever they go. So it's not good to get the Slender Man's attention. The physical side effects that have been reported after these incidents is the lack of energy like they've been drained and a heavy dose of depression, and of course uh, just physical sickness in general. But the worst part is probably these people just having their minds completely obsessed with Slenderman, and sometimes doing pretty horrific things. Such as in Florida in late 2014, where a young girl by the name of Lily Marie Hartwell lit her house on fire as her nine-year-old brother and mother slept. She then just casually walked out into the woods, and when she was found, she had a backpack on her that had some pretty bizarre stuff in it like knives and lighter fluid and, you know, weird stuff that little kids shouldn't have on them. And creepily, when law enforcement questioned her, she told them that she was seeking out Slenderman. They also came across her journal, which had some pretty unsettling things written in it, to say the least. Lily apparently took the Slenderman urban legend very, very seriously. It was no myth to her. It was no fantasy. It was real. The mad gibberish writings in her journal talked about murder for the Slender Man, and all of it was pretty, pretty beyond reason for just a little young girl, with a lot of stuff in there, pretty much what should be beyond her intellectual capacity to grasp. The journal was incredibly dark and disturbing and used against her in court. Though luckily her little brother and mother survived the fire, but the house was burned to ashes. In the end, Lily was obviously taken away for juvenile detention. Since she was so young, her files were sealed by the courts, and you can't really find out what's happened to her since, or if she's still under some sort of imprisonment or not. All that we can really hope for is that she's gotten over her Slenderman obsession by now. Also in 2014, a mother came into her home with her daughter standing in the kitchen silently, wearing all black and a white mask. Now, no matter how much I researched, I really couldn't find the girl's name because it's apparently kept hidden from the public for legal reasons. But this is some obviously, this is some pretty weird stuff to come home to, right, in the middle of the night. And things immediately got worse when the young woman attacked her mother with a knife. Though, luckily, she did end up surviving. And yet again, when questioned, the motive behind this attack was the Slender Man. The young girl even made an entire world for Slenderman in the game Minecraft, which took countless hours for her to create. And this little girl also had journals with insane gibberish concerning the Slenderman, like uh, really dark and disturbing stuff, you know? Supposedly, this little girl's locked up till this day, and um, this account really disturbed law enforcement because the little girl was so obsessed she couldn't even tell reality from fiction. And then there's probably the most famous case of real-world Slenderman crimes. This concerns 12-year-old Morgan Geyser and Anissa Weir in Wisconsin. These two young girls got completely sucked into the Slenderman mythos beyond reason. 
The macabre event went down just prior to having a sleepover with another 12-year-old friend, and by all accounts, they interacted with her completely normal and friendly. They all had a great time together, you know, as children do. But then the next day, they lured the girl out into the woods under the pretense of playing hide-and-seek. They then stabbed their friend repeatedly 19 times with a large kitchen knife in an attempt to sacrifice her to Slenderman. And when they were questioned about why they did it, they told law enforcement that they wanted to prove their eternal loyalty to the entity, becoming permanent followers of it and being able to allow it to live forever back in Slenderman's home, wherever that is. The people who questioned the children found their story overtly delusional. Well, at least to law enforcement who, you know, don't really believe in the paranormal or anything like that and make no connections to it. You can even see recordings of these interviews on YouTube and there's a documentary on it. I forgot its name. I think it's on HBO. I only heard about it. I didn't watch it. Anyway, though, the two girls did stab their friend a whole bunch of times and leave her to die in the woods. Somehow the victim dragged herself all the way from the scene of the crime through the woods and got someone's attention and received medical help. This girl is insanely tough. There is a strange coincidence, though, to this whole case that most people don't really know about. And that's that the famous paranormal show Coast to Coast had a special just the night before on thought forms, tulpas, and the possibility of Slenderman being one of them. Now, you gotta keep in mind all the stuff that I said about tulpas and thought forms, and Coast to Coast has an insane amount of listeners. With all these listeners thinking about Slenderman all at the same time and, you know, probably channeling some fear into it as well. All this focused energy and visualization could definitely give a tulpa or a thought form an immense power boost influence. In fact, if we're going by uh, tulpa and thought form lore, then all those thousands and thousands of people focused on the entity probably feeding it in like a massive feast of energy to empower it. And then the next day, this horrible crime with the two little girls stabbing their friend happened. It's just... It's really disturbing to me because these three girls all knew each other very well. They went to school together, they played together, everything you can think of. And yet somehow they could turn around and brutally stab their friend with a kitchen knife. In the little girl's own words, they claim that they did it to become Slenderman's proxy. And it's just, it's really messed up. But Morgan Geyser and Anissa Weir were obviously locked away for extreme mental illness. And by all accounts, the girls talked about Slenderman like he was a completely real thing. And it's because of incidents like these, many people think that Slenderman has somehow come over into the real world. Not to mention all the other supposed real-life encounters that people have had with the Slenderman. But these three cases are definitely the most uh, mainstream and high-profile cases. It doesn't stop there, though. Because there are strange accounts of a Slenderman-type entity that has been going on long before the meme was invented by Eric Nedson on something awful. And I'm talking like all throughout human history. This type of entity actually isn't anything new on the paranormal scene or the mythologies throughout countless cultures. But I will be the first to admit that it doesn't take much research to discover that a lot of these supposed historical references from forum sites like 4chan and are perpetuated online are basically total BS. As an example, there are these alleged classical wood carving art that depicts Slenderman from medieval times and they are complete hoaxes. 
along with a Renaissance painting that when x-rayed supposedly showed the depiction of death in the painting having many tentacle arms, just like Slenderman. And there's actually a lot of these supposed made-up mythical stuff like that, and when it's investigated or questioned, the people perpetuating them don't have any real resources. But despite all the fiction that people, you know, try to push as fact and people making up stuff to add to the modern Slenderman mythos, there actually is some legitimate mythology that has similarities to Slenderman. And we're going to get into it right after I take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Cryptic Chronicles. So despite all the fake references of Slenderman to the past, there actually are some legitimate ways to associate the entity with mythology. The phenomenon has had a lot of people add to the Slenderman mythos and, and actually created a full-blown modern-day myth, which is pretty amazing and awesome and very rare. But like I already said, a lot of these so-called connections to real-life history are complete fiction. However. What is 100% real are the archetypes that humanity has manifested in countless ways all throughout our existence. If you're familiar with Carl Jung or anything with a deeper knowledge of human psychology and philosophy, then you already understand the profound magnitude of the influence humanity's subconscious has on the world and the collective unconscious all humanity is plugged into through their subconscious minds. The archetypes are not consciously created, but are part of our very nature and how human consciousness interacts with the universe. And with this in mind, there are actually many true mythological entities from cultures all around the world that are similar to Slenderman and could easily step into the archetype of the manifestation of death itself, which is basically what Slenderman is. According to the Bible, there was no death before the fruit from the tree of good and evil was eaten. And a lot of the old art has the tree of good and evil depicted as a skeleton with many outstretched arms that turn into branches in which the fruit hangs from. Which is analogous to the tall, thin, slender man with many arms that look similar to tree branches. In fact, if you just smudge over the skeleton face of the old Bible art and erase the tree leaves and whatnot, then put a suit on the skeleton, it looks extremely similar to the Slenderman. Another classic is the well-known legend of the Pied Piper, who was hired to rid a town of rats and did so with an unexplainable musical instrument that had a supernatural power over the vermin. And well, I'm sure you know how the story goes. The Pied Piper was not paid for his trouble and so in vengeance used his magic song to lure all the children of the town out into the woods, where they vanished without a trace, never to be seen again. Which sounds very Slenderman. And there are a couple Native American legends that seem to fill the death archetype of Slenderman as well. Like an entity called Walking Sam, who haunts the woods around reservations as well as stalking within the settlements. People who are in Walking Sam's presence commit suicide, attempt suicide, or become extremely mentally ill, as well as vanishing in the woods. Then there are also the Slitheni men of Native American myth, 
These beings are tall, dark, featureless, and violent entities that kidnap and eat unwary children who travel too far from communities and settlements. And just like Slenderman, kids may be the main item on the menu, but they'll murder adults as well. The big difference here is that there's supposed to be many of these dark spirits, whereas Slenderman is just a single monster. The ancient Tino civilization that dwelled in the Caribbean long before any pirates or even the current culture existed has a legend around an entity called the Hupeya. It too is a humanoid monster without a face and does some of the same stuff that Slenderman does, like paralyzing people with fear and driving victims slowly insane to the point that all reason is thrown out the window. To the ancient Tino civilization, the Hupeya spirit was basically the embodiment of death itself and most definitely an archetype. In Malaysia, there's the legend of the dreaded Hantu Hala, which means the bamboo ghost. It's tall and walks towards the victims with long outstretched arms, just like Slenderman. And this legend even gets pretty primal. An ancient cave painting in Brazil that dates back beyond 9000 BCE depicts entities far taller than the images of normal humans around it. And the entity has tree-like arms similar to Slenderman and is black and even has an oddly featured face. Russia has a legend literally called the Tall Slender Man, who was a collector of humans and would hunt down people who lived unconventional lives outside the norm and murder them in horrific ways, then add them to his collection. And this was basically anyone who lived outside the norm, not going with what society deemed how people should be. Even to the point an orphan or bastard child could be the prey of the tall slender man. In the book Ghost Stories of the American South, which is a compilation of southern U.S. legends, in it there's a tale of a tall, slender, tree-like entity that kidnapped a child from his family. The man the author got the story from was very old and swore to a fault that the tale was true, though he dodged a lot of the author's questions and he found the guy pretty suspicious. And in the Near East and ancient Babylonian demonology, there's an entity called the Alu. This is a tall, dark demon with no face, ears, or anything, just like Slenderman, and it's associated with the underworld. The Alu would do a lot of messed up stuff, but mostly got off on terrifying people, and purposely driving them mad through sheer acts of scaring them over and over for extended periods of time. And interesting to note, the Alu really liked to do this a lot while people were sleeping. So I'm pretty sure that this demon's associated with sleep paralysis. Then there's the Schlenkwald, which is a Germanic poem of an entity very similar in appearance to Slenderman, and it would make children cry even though their eyes were removed. But this creepy poem is not the only Germanic legend that can be linked to Slenderman. Even though... The authenticity of this legend is highly questionable. And this legend is the alleged Der Grassman, which literally translates to the Tall Man, and it's supposedly a boogeyman who haunts the Black Forest. The Black Forest is very interesting in Germany because it's an extremely popular location for Germanic folklore, with the fairy tale authors, the Brothers Grimm, depicting a lot of their stories there. The Black Forest has literally been associated with paranormal encounters and the unexplained for centuries, and the Degrass Man haunts it, making unwary travelers vanish without a trace. And it's funny how so many of these legends all share basically the monster boogeyman guy being called 
some variation of the tall man. There's even a Romanian fairy tale about the tall man, which is a nobleman in all black and has multiple arms, just like Slenderman. Which is a funny coincidence because actually many legends and folklore about the devil depict him as always being in an appearance of someone pretty much high class. You know, someone dressed really well and basically always in black who deceives people into their damnation to hell. Which, once again, connects to Slenderman because of the entity's iconic black suit. Then we have the Mohina from Japan, which is probably the least dangerous entity out of this bunch while still being one of the most creepy. The Mohina has no face looking similar to Slenderman, but mainly gets off on just horrifying people and not murdering them or making them banish without a trace. It will put on an illusion to look and sound like someone the victim is familiar with, which it uses to lure them in, but once they're close and feel comfortable, the entity shows the victim its true form, making that person become consumed in fear, which the entity most likely feeds on in one way or another. And then of course we have the classic fairies from European folklore, with many tales of fairies stealing children away from their families, and they share many magical abilities that Slenderman has, including his mind control, amnesia induction, and the ability to invade people's minds, leading them to obsession. Europe is actually pretty rich with uh, tales that could be translated as Slenderman, like the dreaded Clutchbone from English folklore, which only dates back a couple of centuries, but it's a monster with long black limbs and strange white skin and bizarrely creepy features looking extremely similar to the Slenderman. And just to the north of England, there's a similar folklore tale on the Ferdoom, aka the Black Man from Scottish mythology. It would haunt the forests and trails at night, which are, you know, classic Slenderman characteristics. But I think I'm going on a little bit too long. That's probably enough examples from real-world mythology that could be associated to the Slenderman. Not to mention that there's a ton of supposed real-life Slenderman encounters. I read dozens and dozens of them, but I didn't really want to get into them because... Reasons. So you can see that though Slenderman was created by Something Awful Forms user Eric Knudsen all the way back in 2009, there may be much more as to what just might have inspired the entity. I mean, the, the HP Lovecraft and Cthulhu mythos influence is obvious, but there's probably a lot taken from human mythology as well. If not on a conscious level, then definitely on a subconscious. It seems that Eric Knudsen might have also been inspired by something dwelling in the depths of humanity's primordial collective unconscious. You know, something that humanity has been focused on all throughout our history. The archetype and embodiment of death itself, which has manifested as countless entities in myth and folklore since the dawn of civilization and beyond. With, with so many countless people throughout time focusing their energy on these mythical entities, do you think it's possible that perhaps something did form sentience in the void? Some tulpa or thought form could have been born? Basically, filling in the shoes of whatever entity the masses are focusing on. Something that has the ability to step from beyond, to play the part of whatever entity the collective unconscious is manifesting. Be it a tulpa formed out of the obsession people have been consumed by over Slenderman on the internet, to a thought form born from the focus and emotions of the masses of humanity, 
Following Tulpa and Thoughtform lore, it's totally possible that Slenderman haunts us from the darkness. But only one thing is for sure. The Slenderman has become probably the first full-blown modern-day myth. So, what do you think? Is it really possible that there could be more to the Slenderman mythos? And that the entity could possibly be a tulpa or even a thought form? Comment or contact me to let me know what you think. Especially if you have any of your own insights into the Slenderman phenomenon. It's really amazing that a simple Photoshop picture turned in for a forum contest could blow up to the staggering levels of popularity that Slenderman has. And there really are a lot of people out there who think that all the mythological entities that the Slenderman has been associated with are pretty much thought forms or tulpas generated from humanity's collective unconscious. I mean, really what the Slenderman comes down to is the embodiment of death itself inescapable and cryptically horrifying. And it is allegedly an archetype buried deep within our connective primordial subconscious minds that manifest outside ourselves in many ways or even planes of existence. And if you're a believer, then you could see how easy it is for the masses to create a thought form or a tulpa. And just a warning, remember that if you focus too long on Slenderman, then Slenderman turns its focus onto you. Which might make you wonder if I had any paranormal experiences while doing all my research for Slenderman. And the answer to that is, when the pizza delivery man brings you a pizza, do you attack him or try to harm him in any way? <laughs> Cryptic Chronicles is available on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and pretty much all podcast hubs. I know how much you like all my cryptic content, but if you could give me a good review on any of those, it would really help out the show, which in turn will allow me to make more and more content. If you can, please subscribe to the Chronicler's Vault on Patreon. By pledging just a buck a month, you can really, really help the show grow. But also, if you pledge higher, there's other rewards like having the topic of the show chosen, being on the show as just like a co-host, not to mention hanging out with me on Discord. Or if you want to, you can even have your own cryptic personal experience in the paranormal or whatever on the show. Shout out to new Patreon subscriber Kenny. Kenny, you are awesome. To keep up with all our cryptic content, you can follow us on Instagram, Tumblr, Twitter, or Facebook. I recently even made a Reddit. Our Facebook group especially is pretty rockin', so come check it out. Oh, and don't forget to visit the website to read all our articles on the mysteries of existence, or just follow the Facebook page because it all gets posted there too. If you have anything you'd like to contribute, or any ideas or feedback, or things you'd like to hear covered on the show, then please email me at crypticchroniclespodcast at gmail.com. But you can also email me from the website, just click on the contact icon. And that is a wrap. I'm your host, Tim Hacker, and make sure to keep it weird. And of course, thanks for listening.